Awesome. Well, let's try this again. I think I got my words right today. I'm just going to stick to the notes if that's all right with y'all. Um, so uh, basically, uh, over this past summer, we have taken a slight break from our uh, normal series. Dale, are you okay if I slide your pad up a little bit? You okay? All right. You know I like to walk. I'm sorry. All right. So uh, we've, we've taken kind of a break from our, 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 our normal series that we've been going through, um, Acts. Uh, we went into a series of what's called adulting. Uh, we really just kind of talked about some topics that really um, we can kind of be either kind of indifferent towards or really we maybe not understand in a spiritual way. And so we kind of took some, some physical concepts and applied some spiritual truths and realities to them. Um, but now as we kind of get back into, I hate to break it to y'all, today is August 1st of 2021. That's crazy. Like, that is insane, right? Um, and so as we kind of hit that, uh, turn the page into really what is um, the next school year, um, really what is um, the start of a turning of page of what looks to be like potentially getting life a little bit more back to normal, right? Um, and, and as we kind of get into those, we're kind of jumping back into our Acts series. And so as uh, really a way of really kind of reviewing uh, where we have been in our Acts series, um, we really we want to make sure that we understand that Acts really as a whole is, is really a glimpse into essentially the first um, three centuries, the first like 30 years of the church, right? It's not a complete history. It's not an exhaustive history, but it is basically a, a glimpse, um, a Polaroid picture, if you will, um, of what the church looked like in those early days, how it got started, and all that stuff. Um, one of the key, f- or there's really two key figures um, in the book of Acts and really as, as the church of Christ got launched. Uh, those two key figures, the first one is Peter, right? So Peter is a missionary uh, primarily to the Jews, okay? not solely to the Jews, but primarily to the Jews. But for the Gentiles, um, they got a former mass murderer in the name of Saul, right? Um, Saul turned Paul, became the primary missionary to the Gentile world. Gentile world simply meaning anybody who wasn't a Jew, right? Um, Jews kind of had this um, this ego about them, like we were the chosen people, you know, we were the ones that we were God's favorite, we were God's chosen people, um, and, and really Paul came into the middle of that, well, Jesus came in the middle of that, but then Jesus appointed Paul to go into the middle of that and really kind of bring the message to the Gentile world, right? He started the church really off of kind of um, this idea that, you know, Jews thought it's for us, Jesus, Jesus said it's for everyone, and then he had Paul basically go out and deliver that message of good news, the gospel to the Gentile world. Saul gets converted on the Damascus Road, um, and as he it really, it's interesting, he's searching for Christians to kill as Paul intercedes, or as Jesus intercedes and says, no, you're mine, you're actually going to go do my mission, right? Um, and so that's uh, Paul's story. Paul um, is interesting, um, he took, on his travels to try and, you know, evangelized the Gentile world, he took three um, missionary journeys. All three of them actually started in the same place, though. They started at the church of Antioch. Um, Antioch was kind of a capital city of the uh, Roman province of Syria, um, and many Jews actually made their homes in Antioch um, because they were actually fleeing persecution in Jerusalem, uh, and really the persecution started with the stoning of Stephen. Okay, there was a persecution that really started with the stoning of Stephen, and from that moment, Jews began to flee Jerusalem and go into Antioch. 
Um, many Jews um, and Gentiles in Antioch actually came together from that moment forward, and really they, they kind of what created the community together, those Jews and Gentiles in Antioch, and really created um, the church in Antioch that would really serve two primary purposes, especially for us even today. Um, the first one was that it kind of molded this ethnic diversity that we should expect from the gospel, um, especially one that, uh, that it includes all backgrounds of all races of people into basically one family of God, right? Um, it had kind of this mixture of Jews and Gentiles coming together for the sake of unity of the gospel, right? Um, and in that, there was um, um, also, uh, it became more of a, a missionary church um, that basically launched Paul's ministry to the Gentile world, right? It was these three, uh, these three missionary journeys that Paul took, and he, they started in Antioch, which started because of this melting pot of Jews and Gentiles, which started because of persecution in Jerusalem, right? Um, and so as we um, kind of get into where we're going to go today, um, I think it's important for us to understand that in that, f- we're, we're going to basically talk about um, a part, just a little section, a little part of Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, but before we get there, uh, uh, just a little thing about kind of the first missionary journey, what happened after that missionary journey, and then kind of what led into the second one, okay? Um, so the first of Paul's three missionary journeys that we read comes in Acts 13. Um, and when we see um, that really um, it was at this church in Antioch that the, the Lord impressed on the people to get Paul to go out. So him and, and Barnabas really went out on this first mission. And I'm not going to you know, go into a lot of details of that first missionary journey, um, but I will say that in their minds, I, I think it was a success. Uh, Acts 14, 27 says, after they arrived and gathered the church together, meaning they had returned, they reported everything God had done with them and, they, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Right, so their whole mission, this whole like all three missionaries, well, at least the first two were so really only about evangelizing and really church planning. Like that was the whole goal behind these. And really, as they returned from that first missionary journey, um, I, I think in their mind they would consider it a success. Um, Acts fourteen again says that God had opened the door to the Gentile world for them to be able to receive faith. So, in at the end of Acts fourteen. Um, it, we see kind of a conclusion of that missionary journey. And then as we enter into chapter 15, we see a, a debate come up. Um, and this debate is really um, kind of, um, in, in our minds, maybe today, we might think it's a little bit silly. But I think underneath that argument, we kind of, we battle this argument all the time. Because essentially, the argument boiled down to the topic that was up for debate, essentially was, how is a person saved? Right? And if I was to ask one of you today, if you grew up in church, most likely you would answer, oh, well, we're, we're saved by faith, we're saved by grace. But a lot of times we live kind of in a different way. Like we live like, it, like, it, like it's based upon our works, right? Like we, we live in such a way where it's like, well, if I'm not going to church or if I'm not giving the right amount of tithes or, which by the way, I'm just kidding. Um, so <laughs> but, so if we, we think we, we had to, got to do, like, do all these different things or be saved, but really like, we, we know that at the, at the end of the day, the heart of the issue that Jesus gets to is, do you believe in me? Like, is it, it's, you are saved by faith, right? And so um, basically, Paul and Barnabas enter into this debate. My mic just fell in, sorry. Enter into this debate, and essentially what they come up with, the conclusion, um, is in Acts 15, 11. It says, we believe that we are saved 
through the grace of the Lord Jesus. And after they had did this, they kind of had some more debates, but eventually the church essentially just said, you know what, you're right. It is through faith, or it is through grace by faith, okay? And so um, basically that, that leads us into what would become the start of Paul's second missionary journey, where we're going to be today, which is in Acts 16, all right? Um, and so basically in the first 10 verses are really just kind of setting up the stage for what we will eventually know as the founding of the church at Philippi, okay? Um, and so all the things that we're getting ready to read, all the things that we'll see and go through were because God had a um, divine necessity to reroute, to shut doors in order to get the church of Philippi started, right? So let's dive in. It's going to be Acts 16, 1 through 5. It says, Paul went on to Derby and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. <clears throat> Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the, de the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for the people to observe. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. All right, so Paul uh, meet, really meets um, Timothy and, and, and Lystra. Uh, and really, Timothy, Timothy's like a, like a half-Jew, right? Um, and so basically, um, his mom you know, grew up as a Jewish woman, but his dad was a Greek. So what that would have meant was that even though Timothy, he would have been a really well-learned, a really well-trained person in Jewish um, knowledge, right? In, in, in what we would call basically Old Testament biblical, not, biblical knowledge. Um, but because his dad was a Jew, he would not allow his son to go through the Jewish tradition of circumcision. Now, if you don't know what circumcision is, um, email Derek at rfcc.org. I think he's got like an instructional video or something. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, you, you could look. You just got to ask him. But uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but um, really, the purpose behind doing that with Timothy, for doing that for Timothy, um, was was not because um, of this idea. Because we just read like you're saved by grace through faith. So why do we need to do an action in order to come across as saved? Well, it's because that Paul, Paul, this is how serious Paul takes the testimony to the Jews. Right, like Paul's primary, not sole, primary um, mission is the Gentile world, but that doesn't mean he's going to throw away his testimony with Jews, right? And so as he uh, comes across Timothy, apparently they they stir up a pretty cool bromance, um, and he's like, "Yo, I would love for you to come with me." Um, and so basically, in order to get that to happen, um, you, I, as much as I love you, we we got to do this. All right, we, I'm not I'm not risking my testimony here because of this situation. Um, and so, um, and, and really, this, is, this, is, this attitude is really something that Paul lived out in a lot of different ways as we kind of read some of the letters. One of the letters that we read that Paul wrote uh, was to the letter uh, to the Corinthian church, right? Um, 1 Corinthians uh, 9.20 says that he, uh, he said that to the Jews I become a Jew to win Jews, all right? So that means, like, even if there's some weird, obscured, something that potentially doesn't make any sense type of law that you know, whether you have to obey or not, Paul puts that issue aside. It doesn't matter what that is. Um, at, the, at the end of the day, in order for me to win you, you want me to do X, Y, Z? Okay, that's all. That's all I need to know. Because at the end of the day, Paul's not after trying to win an argument. 
He's trying to win hearts. He's trying to win souls. He's trying to win people, right? And so if he has to obey, if he has to do something in order to get to the heart of men, that's what he's going to do. That's his entire mission. Um, and so picking up uh, back into Acts 16, verse, uh, starting back in verse 6, they've, they've, they've picked up Timothy. Um, and from here, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. I don't know if you all, you all know this or not. Um, it takes about 10 to 12 hours to plan a sermon. Um, for this one, half of that was just trying to learn how to pronounce some of these cities' names. All right, uh, let's make sure we know. Um, Phrygia and Galatia, they had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came to Messiah, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Passing by Messiah, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to, the, to, the, to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. All right. So um, Paul is really trying to get to different parts of Asia, right? Like he's like, all right, I'm going to Gentiles. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go this. And basically, three times, God says, "Nope, I, I don't want you to go there. Nope, I don't want you to go there. Nope, I don't want you to go there." Right? Um, and eventually, as they reach um, some uh, the place where they need to go, then he has a vision that he's got to go somewhere else. All right? Um, why? Okay. Um, the Bible has some language in it. I don't know if you know or not. Um, that that's sometimes difficult to understand. Um, there's an example, there's a similar example of what we just saw. It says that, um, that God um, prohibited them or that he, what was the exact terminology that this translation uses? I think it says that he forbid them. Yeah, he forbid them from going into Asia, okay? Why in the world would God forbid Paul to preach the gospel at, at this particular point in history, Asia? Well, um, there's a similar, um, I think, example um, that we can read in John 4, 4. It's not going to be on the screen. It's just a super simple uh, short verse. Um, John 4, 4 says, he had to travel through Samaria. Okay. He, meaning Jesus, um, and this story is right before or really is part of Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. Okay. It said that he had to go through Samaria in order to get through wherever else they were going. But that's not true. Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. As a matter of fact, um, the most popular route for them to have to have them to actually travel would have been to go around Samaria, right? There was a racial, uh, there was a ra- it was a racially divided culture, um, and really, what happened is uh, people, Jewish people, would never go through Samaria. They would always go around it so they could av- avoid Samarians. But G- but this passage said that he had to go through Samaria. Um, other translations say that he was required to go through Samaria, but but really at the end of the day, we know just history and geography wise, you you can go around, right? So the point is not really that there is a physical limitation that prohibits any type of travel through or around or whatever. Really, there's a divine necessity for God's plan to unfold the way that He has designed it to unfold, right? So even though the woman at the well like, he could have technically gone around, like he, like, he could have done that, but really, at the end of the day, if he does that, the, the, the God's plan that he had 
for this woman at the well, now it doesn't happen. So as a divine necessity, he has to go through Samaria. It's the same thing here with Paul and his traveling companions when it says that the Holy Spirit forbid them, right? It's not that the Holy Spirit's like, you know what? I'm not for Asians, right? Like that's not, that's not God's posture at all. Rather, there is something that in God's divine plan for humanity, there's some things that got to happen before the gospel reaches that part of Asia. And what that thing is that we will come to find out, like I just said, is really the, the start, the launching pad of the church at Philippi. So when we get to, I think it's verse 13. Yeah, verse 13. It says that, um, oh, sorry, not verse 13. Apologize. Uh, verse 10. It says, it has these weird words all of a sudden. It says, we and us. Okay, don't be confused by that, okay? Um, we and us is simply just indicating that whoever's writing this is now on this journey with them from this point forward, okay? Who's the author of Acts? It's Luke, okay? So as far as we know, um, the traveling companions that Paul takes on him on his second missionary journey um, as they now go to what was going to be called Philippi um, are um, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, right? So Usually when we see something along the lines of Paul traveling, he's going to be with those three guys, right? They're going to be traveling together um, for our, our, our passage today. All right, so technically that was an introduction. All right, I just want to let you know, you can breathe now. We're going, we're going into kind of what the, the, the purpose of really why um, I, this, this passage, really the reason why I studied this one um, and really the direction we want to go. Um, so Acts 16, starting in verse 11, says, From Troas we put out to sea. Remember, we, talking about Luke, Silas, Timothy, and Paul. Went out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. The next day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi. A Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for several days on the several on the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women there and a God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house as she persuaded us. All right, so Paul and his companions, they get to Philippi, okay? And it's, the, I don't know how long they're there before it's the Sabbath day. I don't know if they get there on the Sabbath day, but basically Sabbath day is here, um, and usually on Sabbath day, they would go to synagogue, okay? Well, Philippi doesn't have a synagogue, okay, um, at this particular point. So what you have to know about kind of like an, an in, between the scene, in between the lines, behind the scenes, um, is in order for a city, for Jewish cultures, for, in order for a city to build a synagogue, you had to have at least 10 Jewish men. They didn't have a synagogue. So that clues us in that this was not a very highly populated Jewish area. Like there's not many Jews in this area. Um, but what we do see is that... Um, there's some women gathered by the river, and they're praying on Sabbath day, okay? So what we also want to understand, we kind of 
peering in between the lines behind the scenes. Um, historically speaking, um, cities that didn't have a synagogue but still had religious people, um, basically what they would do is they would meet by rivers. That's what they would do. Um, and so as they kind of, you know, stumble upon the, well, they don't stumble upon it. They know that there's no synagogue, so they know to look for a river. Um, and so they, they find this group of women. And in this group of women um, is really what we would know as kind of like a, a boss girl. Anybody know a boss girl? Like you give that, uh, that Facebook message that says, hey, girl, let's meet for coffee. And it's like your old college like roommate from like 10 years ago, and she's really just trying to sell you essential oils, you know? Anyone have that experience, right? Okay, that's a boss girl, all right? That's what, that's what Lydia is, right? Like Lydia's the boss girl. Um, she is a dealer in, fi- in fine purple linen, right? Like, that stuff's hard to come by. Like, usually only, like, higher-ups in, in, in the Roman Empire, like, that is who bought, like, the, this stuff. So, most likely, she was a girl of means. Like, she, like, she was not just a boss girl. She was the boss girl, right? Um, and so, she basically, she was... Maybe not the richest, but she was more well off than what most people would have been in, in her in her area. She would have been uh, well liked, well respected. Um, she would have been witty, maybe even a little funny because she had some confidence, right? Uh, but really, at the end of the day, Lydia, successful businesswoman, she had means, right? Um, and and really, at the end of the day, um, she was attending synagogue, right? And it says that she was a God-fearing woman, right? Other translations say that she just, she was a, uh, she worshiped God, right? Um, and I think really at the end of the day, we, we kind of can, can get in this, right? Because the next thing it says is that the Lord opened her heart to the gospel. Well, she's already worshiping God. She's already a God-fearer. Wouldn't she have already accepted the gospel? Like that, like we, like in our time, like we would, we would kind of have this mindset of, well, well, I'm saved. Like, I mean, I, I go to church. You know, I go to the river, right? I, I read my Bible. I pray. You know, I pray with these, these women, right? Um, and, and essentially, what I, what I think we see here is um, something that's very relatable to a lot of us in this room is that we've been super religious for a long time. We've been morally good for a long time, right? But really, the gospel hasn't changed our life in the way that it that it can, right? We haven't really allowed um, the, the, the gospel of Jesus to really alter the way that we see the world, think about the world, the way that we hear the world, the way that we speak about the world, speak life into the world, right? And so Lydia, this woman, um, she, she only has half the story. She only has half the story. She, she knows that God exists, and she's, you know, doing her best, you know, go to church. You know, she can't go to synagogue, so she goes to the river, Right? And she's just, she's, she's trying to go. She's trying to get there. But then she realizes it's not about the going. It's about the believing, right? It's about Jesus. It's not about her do's and her don'ts. It's not about all the things that she can muster up within herself. It's all about simply the gospel of Jesus. And once she understands it, she gets that other half of the picture. She gets the other half of the story. She believes it. Right, and, and 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 not only does she believe it, but now she's like, "Hey, um, I know you guys are in Philippi. Come, come, stay with me." Right now, again, told you, there's four, there's at least four companions. There's Paul, there's Silas, there's Timothy, and there's uh, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and uh, Luke. Thank you. I don't know why I forgot that. Luke. There's four guys. There's her. 
most likely she had a family because it says that um, later on she was baptized with her family. Okay, so this kind of clues us in again that she's a woman with means. She got a big house. All right, that or it's really cramped, right? Um, but my, my my guess is that she would not offer something that was going to be uncomfortable for uh, Paul and his companions. So moving on, Acts sixteen, verse sixteen. We're gonna co- we're gonna come back to Lydia, right? We're we're gonna we're gonna leave her just for a moment, but we're gonna come back in just a second. Acts sixteen sixteen through twenty four says. Once we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit of her owners by fortune-telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed. If y'all ever been annoyed, just know it's biblical. It's fine. Turning to the spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it it came out right away. When her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, bringing them before the chief magistrates. They said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are proclaiming customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes, ordered them for to be beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they threw them in jail, ordered the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, this is important, like, pay, like, like listen, listen to this verse right here, because we're, we're going to leave it, we're going to come back. This verse is important. Receiving such an order to simply put them in jail, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. All right, that's important. I'll tell you why in just a minute. So Paul um, and, and, his, and his guys, right, they're, they're walking around. They're, they're preaching the gospel, right? And all of a sudden, this demon girl, right, this, this, this girl, demon-possessed, she's a slave, She's a fortune teller. She makes a profit for her owners, right, by fortune telling. She starts agreeing with their message. These guys are from the Lord. Their message is correct. But why would that be annoying? Like, why would Paul get annoyed that someone is agreeing with him? Well, really, uh, you have to think. Um, Let's just say... um, there are certain people in, in life where, like, if they agree with you, you're like, are we on the same page for once? Like, what, what is this? And so, basically, Paul is seeing this demon-possessed girl. What she's doing, again, going back to Paul, what is Paul wanting to do? He wants to protect his testimony. Paul, Paul will stop at nothing to protect his testimony. And so when this girl who's demon-possessed begins to agree with them, it annoys Paul because now it's like, okay, you're compromising the, the meaning of our message if you are, are demon-possessed agreeing with me. Like, if there's a demon who is agreeing with what I'm saying, 
those things, like, that's going to hurt the reputation. That's going to hurt the testimony. It's going to hurt their witness. And so she does this for several days, right? She's agreeing with them even though they're not, she's not, she's not a saved individual, right? She's just demon-possessed. She's agreeing with them, but it's hurting their witness. That's why Paul gets so annoyed, right? And in his annoyance, he basically just says, in the name of Jesus Christ, get out. Like, and as, as soon as he says it, demon's gone, right? Um, now, there, there's a little bit of debate here whether or not that this um, girl at this particular moment in time would have been saved. Um, talking about salvation as eternal salvation, right? Um, obviously, she was saved from the demon, but is there, is there a spiritual rebirthing here? Um, I'm going to make the argument yes, um, and, and this is why I'd make that argument. Um, Jesus taught about demon possession. Like he did. He mentioned it. He, he talked about it. Um, and he really, what's interesting is whenever a demon is cast out, what they'll do is they'll, they'll, they'll leave, they'll do some stuff, and then what they'll do is if they can't find a new home, they'll come back to the original home. And if it's empty, what they'll do is they'll leave it again. They'll get some friends. They'll come back. And a second time demon possession is even worse than the first. Okay. Um, Matthew 12, 43, 45 says, when an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it roams through the waterless places looking for rest, but doesn't find any. Then it says, I'll go back to my house that I came from. Returning, it finds the house vacant, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and settle down there. As a result, the person's last condition is worse than the first. Okay? That's, I mean, red letters and black letters are equally inspired. Okay? But that's red letter. That's Jesus talking. Okay? And what we want to understand is that in, in the mind, we want to make sure that we know that the, the, the owners of this slave girl realized they had no way to profit from this girl anymore. Well, in order for them to not be able to profit from this girl anymore, she cannot be demon-possessed or repossessed. That means when the demons come back, they have to find something else filling the home. There's a different spirit filling that home. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my bet on the Holy Spirit, right? And so I think this encounter with Paul, this, 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 this demon-encountered girl or this demon-possessed girl, when she encounters Paul and his, and his companions, she, the demon's cast out, Holy Spirit moves in, right? That's my argument, and I'm sticking with it. Um, so basically, I, I think this girl can be slightly relatable to some, right? Like we relate to, to Lydia and the fact that we can be a little overly religious. We can try to just simply be morally good and, and completely miss the gospel. But then the Bible follows, her, follows this Lydia's story up, you know, good girl, boss babe, whatever. Um, basically, the Bible follows this girl up with a demon-possessed girl who's an annoyance, and she's a slave, the complete opposite of Lydia, right? And so my, my guess, you don't have to you know, stand up or raise your hand or, or call it out, but my guess is that none of us in this room have been a demon-possessed slave girl, all right? So not that relatable. 
But what can be relatable are maybe you have someone in your family, you or, or yourself, who, who struggled with some sort of addiction, who struggled with some sort of, of dark power that just loomed over you, whether it be some sort of depression or maybe it be some sort of anxiety, right? Like now this girl's situation is a little bit more relatable, right? Like we're not demon-possessed, but we still have things in our lives that are really dark, you still have things in our lives that, are, that, that really take control of our hearts and really make us feel like we're not even the person that we used to be or we're not even the person that we're called to be, right? And so um, Jesus, in both of these situations, in, in, in the story of Lydia and in the story of this slave girl, the story of the super ultra-successful businesswoman and the story of the demon-possessed slave girl, both of them have a mess. Both of them have a mess. And Jesus steps in to both of their messes. Doesn't matter what the mess is. It's a mess. Jesus steps into both of them. Let's talk about the, the position that our, that, our boys, um, that our boys are in. There's Paul, there's Silas, Timothy, and Luke. You got it right that time. Paul and Silas, because they cast the demon out, are arrested. Okay? Slave girl owners say, we've lost our profit. These guys are annoying us. Get rid of them. All right? There's, there's kind of like this, it, it really is a, a misconception um, that when Jesus was being beaten and, and hung on a cross, that um, there was this rule. Of, I think I think it's like forty lashes minus one or something like that. Um, it was a it was a Jewish custom that basically said, um, you know, we we're going to calculate how much someone can take a beating, and then we're just going to do slightly under that, so that way it's more of an abuse than it is death. Um, that was a Jewish um, that was a Jewish thing. That was not a Roman thing, right? So when Jesus is being beat, beaten by Romans, there was no mercy rule. Like, Jesus was beaten to the point, like, there was no mercy in, in Jesus' crucifixion. There was no mercy rule that said, hey, we're going to just slide it back just a little bit so he doesn't actually die. Didn't exist. Okay? Um, I say that because Paul and Silas are beaten by Romans. All right. Um, I'm not going to say they experienced the same pain that Jesus did, but I'm going to say they, they got pretty close. They were flogged. They were beaten. Um, and, and, and really, I don't know what you know about Romans, okay? Romans are terrifying. Like, if you ever read a history book about Roman culture, uh, Roman people, like, they were ruthless tyrants. Um, it, it said that on like roads that would lead into some of their cities, um, up to 20,000 men, women, and children would have been crucified on a cross as you entered into Rome just to deter anybody from trying to uprise and, and take over their regime. Like they were not nice people, right? You give them a flower, they knock it out of your hand, right? Like, like that's not like they, they did not take kindly to really anybody. Um, and so what we also want to understand um, is that older, more decorated 
Roman soldiers, upon retirement, would receive a jail to watch as a reward for their service. Something easy, laid back, didn't require much effort. And so, most likely, I'm not saying this is, this is the case because Scripture doesn't say this, but most likely, if, if history is correct, this jailer would have been a former Roman veteran, highly decorated. I'm talking a dude who, you know, got the buzz cut, right? Still, like, sends his kids every, every summer to military school. Like, you know, like, he is, like, high up, right? Now, what do we know about m- militant people who see things, they do things, they come back, and mentally you can tell there's something off now, right? It's been called many different things throughout history. Today, we simply call it PTSD, right? Like many militant people in, 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 in facing combat, like, m- like most people, I would say, in those situations, they come back a different person, right? Um, and really, the way that majority of people handle PTSD is through anger, bitterness, and frustration, right? And so, if this guy, this jailer, is a high uh, was a high-ranking militant Roman soldier who received a jail as a gift uh, for his retirement for his service. Most likely, he, he, he had some, some bitterness. Most likely, he had some anger. Okay? So just, oh, almost, almost forgot. This is, this is the best part of this whole story. In Roman jails, what they, the way that they were structured, it, like there, there's an inner cell, and then there's you know, outer cells. And so basically, it, it, the outer cells would kind of be tilted inward just a little bit. So that any human waste that fell on the ground would trickle into the inner cell. The inner cell was reserved for people that were most, (laughs) Romans didn't like many. Inner cell was reserved for people who the Romans absolutely hated. So Paul and Silas are not simply just in a Roman jail. They're in a Roman jail with this guard who is bitter, he's angry, he's frustrated, he's probably struggling with PTSD from his service with, with Rome. And upon, and upon the order of putting Paul and Silas in jail, not as an order, but as a desire, he takes an extra step, puts them in, in special chains that contorts their body to an uncomfortable position, especially if you've been beaten, and basically they're sitting in human feces and waste. That's the situation Paul and Silas are in. That's the, that's the situation of the guard, right? And so as we continue on, verse 25 picks up the story. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. <laughs> you've, heard that, you've heard that verse that verse before, right? But with the context, with the historical context added, of not just simply being in prison. Like, it's not just them being in prison, like, on their knees, just saying, hallelujah. Like, that's not what, like, they are, they are literally in some deep doo-doo, right? Like, they are in it. Like, they're in it. 
and the prisoners were listening to them. Like, what a sight. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself, since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, because we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, along with everyone in his house. He took them that same hour of the night, washed their wounds, Right away, he and his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. If Lydia is the boss girl, the slave girl is kind of a, a dark sense over your life. I don't know what kind of emotions you deal with or what kind of emotions you struggle with. But even in the mess of this jailer, in all of his potential backstory, in all of his struggles of, of, of potential PTSD, of all his struggles of anger, bitterness, frustration, all the things that he saw, Jesus steps into it and rescues him from the mess. What's interesting about this is it says that he wanted to draw his sword and kill himself. Like Roman jail Roman jails Roman guards were personally held liable for any escaped prisoners. And so this jailer knew what Rome was capable of what they were going to do to him if it was found out that he allowed prisoners to escape. And he thought it would be better to die by my own sword than theirs. Like the fear that has to go through your body when you realize that. Jesus steps into that mess. Jesus steps into that fear. Jesus steps into the angerness, into the bitterness. So it, it, you might relate to that, right? You might relate to the anger and the bitterness of the jailer. So Lydia... Being a successful person, well-liked, well-loved, well-respected, she's a mess. She's a mess. She doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus enters into the mess. The slave girl, she's a mess. She's a, sl she's a, sl a, a demon-possessed slave girl. She's a mess. Jesus steps in. To that mess. The jailer, broken by years of experience, battle, has anger, bitterness, frustration, any other negative emotion that you want to attach onto that, he probably struggled with. Jesus steps in to that mess. Jesus steps in 
to our messes, right? And there's multiple other things that we could be struggling with that aren't represented in these stories, right? But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what your story is. The, the fact of the matter is that Jesus steps into your story. He steps into your mess. And he saves you from it. Acts 16, 35 through 40 says, When daylight came, this is going to be after the night at the jailers. When daylight came, the chief magistrate sent the police to say, Release those men. The jailers reported these words to Paul. The magistrates have sent orders for you to be released. So come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They beat us in public without a trial, although we are Roman citizens, and threw us in jail. And now we are going to send, and now you're going to send us away secretly. Certainly not. On the contrary, let them come themselves and escort us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to appease them, and escorting them from prison, they urged them to leave town. After leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house, where they saw and encouraged the brothers and sisters and departed. The church of Philippi was started with a boss babe who was just trying to get stuff done who encountered God. It was started with a former slave, demon-possessed girl who had no hope for anything and now has Jesus. Church of Philippi was started with a broken man struggling most likely with what we would call a PTSD anger, bitterness, and frustration, and God comes into his mess and saves him. If you're, if you're going to ask me, you're going to come to me, and you're going to ask me, hey, I'm going to start a church, pick three people, none of those three people make my list, right? Like, none, none of those three people. Like, I'm not like, okay, hey, girl, hey, like, okay, that's annoying, get out of here. The second one, demon-possessed slave girl? Absolutely not. Get, get her out. PTSD, war-torn veteran? It sounds a little too intense. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass. Like, my heart, my, my flesh says, those three people, God, you're crazy for, for picking those three people. But that's what he does. God picks the three most unlikely people to start this church in Philippi. There's, we don't want to play the comparison game, right? We don't, we don't want to do that. But my bet is, um, if God can do that with them, imagine what he could do through us. I think there's a lot more that can be done in our world through people like us who have similar stories, we have similar backgrounds, or at the very least, we can relate to the things that have happened in these stories. I'll invite uh, Dale and Tiffany back up. Um, but ultimately, what, what I really want for us all to understand, including myself, because I, I struggle with this, in moments, in, in our in our brightest moments, right, when we're, when we're being Lydia, and we're killing it, we're having a great time, 
in our lowest moments, when we feel like we have this dark shroud around us and we can't seem to do anything right, or maybe we just don't even understand who we are anymore, or maybe just in simply leaning into our emotions too much, leaning into anger, bitterness, bitterness, frustration, whatever it is, the hopelessness of life, whatever it is, that we would simply just understand that Jesus loves you. Like, truly, deeply loves you. I'm not trying to get into Savage Garden right now, but he loves you to the point where he sent Jesus to die on the cross. And not just simply die on the cross, leave and say, all right, now the rest is yours. He sends the Holy Spirit to comfort us, to guide us, and to change us from the inside out. He takes our mess, he takes our brokenness, he takes our sin, our shame, and he turns it inside out for his glory. Everything in our life, no matter what the situation has a divine necessity in it. Everything that happens is for a purpose. It is. Whether that purpose be to show us what whatever X, Y, Z is, at the end of the day, everything is out of God's love and care for us all. So let's pray. God, thank you so much just for the truthfulness of your word. We thank you for our time together. This morning, we pray that as we leave this place today, that we would simply stop and examine our lives, examine the messes that we've made. Lord, give us the ability and the strength to call out our messes and lay them at your feet. May we see people as our ultimate mission and not our own plans or agendas. Help us to show others how God cleaned up our messes and how he can clean, clean up others too. Give us a heart for others. Guide us in our conversations, in our lives, that we would be right there where you want us, when you want us there. We pray in your son's name.